Welcome to Glass Half Full Moon, where if we didn't watch these movies, Full Moon Features would be going out of business. In this, our initial outing into the Full Moon universe, we take a look at Full Moon's first foray into the horror genre, with the classic Puppet Master. I guess you could say this is Full Moon's first rising. Uh, we got jokes, everyone. We got jokes. I'm the funny one. Yeah, well, perhaps. I'm the funny um, one. So, 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 as we we've we've both seen it at this point, and Full Moon is pretty well known for their uh, low budget, shall we say, uh, productions. Like we're not we're not even talking B movies. They're they're maybe maybe F movies. Well, so I, F I, I for full up. moon. Ah. Uh. Uh. <laughs> well, but 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 before we really get into the semantics of the movies, we should probably introduce ourselves. I mean, this is literally our yes. first episode. No one knows who um, we are yet. I started speaking, so you may be the one to initiate the dialogue here. Wait, what am I doing? Introduce yourself. You're the one who brought this up. <laughs> hey, you're the one who's forgetting stuff and jumping right into things. Ugh, whatever. Go ahead. Alright, so my name is Casey. I am your token female host, lover of horror movies, cracker of jokes, and oftentimes you will just hear me ranting on about stupid things. I am Gabe. I am the token male of the podcast, and I'm going to be the one... I suppose my interest more lies in bad movies than specifically horror movies, but I have a fairly extensive knowledge in those as well. Yes, but this is this is where our interests intersect. This in is where we intersect, yes. This is the Venn diagram. This is the center cut. This is the bad horror movies podcast. Well, okay. So, I guess that should be the first thing we talk about when we go into these movies is, for more often than not, Full Moon is considered bottom-of-the-barrel movies. But the Puppet Master, is it a good movie? It's, it's not a good movie, but I wouldn't call it a bad movie either. I just call it a meh movie. A meh-vie, if you will. <laughs> it's... It's... Yeah, I wouldn't call this a good movie either. This is very much... I think I, a lot of times I see the star rating as like 5.3 or something. And that's exactly where it is. That That's pretty much what it is. Yeah, it's literally... It's it's not good, but it's... It's not... It's not one of those so bad it's good movies either. Right. It's very much a... It's middle of the road. Yeah, it's... It's got some fun stuff. It's got some genuinely interesting aspects to it as well that we will get to but it if you, again this is one of those films you need to be watching in a specific mindset with a specific group of people maybe a little booze probably a lot of booze maybe a little bit uh but i suppose uh we should stop beating around the bush here sort of get into the synopsis of the film we we start out, we have opening shots of puppets, which, I counted, goes on for two and a half minutes. 
literally the first thing I noticed was these opening credits be long as fuck. They go on for so long. And it's like, and it's, there's nothing going on either. It's just, it's fever dream hallucinogenic blurry overlay over still image of creepy ass puppets with jaunty ass circus music over it. That's literally all these opening credits are. They had to get as much as they could out of the budget. That yeah, it, that's actually that is actually a very valid point. They might have had to pad the runtime to get it to a feature length. Um, so that could be why the opening credits are so long. But but I actually in the opening credits I noticed that we have Barbara Crampton, the biggest name in this project. I know. I actually noted that or noted that later on in the film. I was like, wait, why is why is Barbara Crampton in this? But, I mean, if you think on the fact that Charles Band had Empire's picture before Full Moon, and she was in quite a few Empire movies, it would make sense that they kind of have her cameo in some things, but it it does still feel kind of like a waste of Barbara Crampton. Yeah, I, I watch this, and I, I, part of me is like, Barbara Crampton's too good for this, but then I remember she was in Chopping Mall, I'm like, maybe not. Maybe this is appropriate. Well, I mean, Chopping Mall, also an Empire's pi- Empire Pictures film. Um, we'll get to that later yeah. uh, during her cameo. But we, we open up in, I think it was like 1937? Like late 30s. Very much yeah. late 30s. We are in a uh, hotel in Bodega Bay, and we have a puppet maker by the name of Andre Toulon. See, the first thing I noticed about this is... He's very inconsistent. Because I looked at all those puppets that were in his room, I'm like, some of them have amazing fake sculpts, but others are absolutely horrid. If he's making all these, then his craft- craftsmanship should be pretty consistent. So I'm just like, Toulon, were you drunk or something? No, Full Moon just didn't care. Well, obviously not, but it's like, it's still, it's, it still bugged me as... As a maker of things myself, it's just like, your your stuff should be pretty consistent if you really call yourself a master. So, one thing that surprised me, I, I knew nothing of Puppet Master going into this, um, other than just general, okay, it's about puppets that are evil and kill people. But we jump straight into there being living puppets. I know! kind of surprised it's, me. It's like, from the get-go, they're alive. They don't even tell. They don't even show why. Well, so here's the thing. It, it, it I looked this up. This came out a year after Child's Play. Okay. And I was that... expecting the Child's Play thing of, well, you know, ooh, it, it builds up. You see the thing running around, but you don't get the, the, the. To- you don't get until like midway through the film where they're like, aha, the the doll is alive. No, we just go straight into. These puppets are acting as like lookouts. For Andre Toulon, it surprised me initially. Did you also notice that uh, Toulon looks like a mix between Gary Busey and the uh, old toy repairman from Toy Story 2? No, but now I can't not. <laughs> yeah, because like I was, I was staring at his face for so long. I was like, "Wow, this this is kind of uncanny." Which is hilarious that I said Gary Busey because he is also going to be in one of our uh, later episodes involved regarding Gary. uh regarding another full moon feature. Gary Busey is, I think, the biggest name Full Moon has ever had in any of their films, which is kind of sad. 
Are you sure about that? Because I mean, they got Tommy Chong as well. We will get to that. That's that's for another episode. We begin. We see that there are some. Are these Nazis that are going after him? I don't know, but you know they're bad because they're wearing all black and walking and stuff with each other. And they are speaking German. Apparently German. Uh, so they're they're at least Nazi adjacent. We get a lot of the puppet shots, which is you know. The camera low to the ground, simulating the puppet running around. Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously, those low shots are from the puppet's perspective, but literally, the logical part of my brain went, "You're telling me that in this empty ass hotel, no one is noticing this little puppet dude running around and grunting and panting like his tiny little wooden right. legs can't keep up." Right. So we see the puppet later. It's Blade. It's one of the one of the main puppets. They don't even name them. Yes, they do. They named them on the back of the box. I looked it up. On the back of the box? That's it. Well, I watched it using the full moon features. And in, in the description, it it doesn't describe the, the actual human characters. It describes the puppets. See, that's the thing. If you're watching this on a streaming service without having the actual box in your hand, you're not going to know these puppets' names. They don't say them in the movie. Well, it's not as though they're very creative. It's like... The one with the drill on his head is named Tunneler. The one with the knife is called Blade. Well, that it's makes like, sense. It's, it's aggressively mundane. Yeah. But, so yeah, Blade is not a, a small puppet, and there is there is no way people didn't see him running around, but we can't... He's literally scamping around the feet of dozens of people in fairly open areas. I'm just like, also, how is he breathing? Does he have little wooden lungs or something? Well, it, it it sounds like he's wearing a mask, is what it sounds like. Yes, but he's also a puppet. I know. I'm not saying it's consistent. <laughs> I'm just pointing out the fallacies. It's like, he's a little puppet. Why is he breathing? Sounds like he's doing some uh, naughty activities that don't involve murdering. That That's to be discussed later. But we also get a bit of, bit of the stop motion, which I will say... It's genuinely good stop motion. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's genuinely good, and which is exactly why we don't get a lot of it. Yeah. They that... use it exceptionally sparingly. That's that's where all the budget went. We uh, follow Blade. Blade goes up to Andre Toulon, warns him about the potential Nazis. But then he's finally also noticed by an old lady who just screams at him. He's the size of a football lady. Just kick him if you're so scared. And he screams back at her. <laughs> Just like, ah, a puppet! Ah, an old lady! Ah! <laughs> so we, Andre puts the puppets in the, bu- in the box, puts the box in the wall, and proceeds to shoot himself in an amazing effect that they sh- probably should have cut away from. I was fully expecting the the... He puts the gun in his mouth, and they cut away to the gunshot sound outside the room, and then the Nazis come in. But no, they show it happening, and it is so obviously just like a blood like cannon behind him that's spraying out because his head has no physics. It's obviously a squib. It's so obviously a squib, but Andre Toulon is dead. Uh, the Nazis have left. Is, is that what we're calling them? They're Nazis? They're Nazis. Well, okay. Okay. So here's the thing, because uh, uh, I have full features. I looked up the puppet master on lo- on there, and I show 
I just typed in puppets and I got all the other results on mm-hmm. Full Moon Features. Mm-hmm. And there's like Puppet Master 10, Axis Rising, Puppet Master 9, Axis of Evil. Okay, there, so... There's like a lot of Nazi references. Okay, so they're building up to Nazi stuff, but they just, they don't even explain what's going on in the first movie. It's just like... What are these guys even doing? Why are they here? What do they want? Yeah, I'm confident that they're Nazis. But there's still literally no explanation for them. Even in the rest of the movie, there is no explanation. Get ready for that theme. Get That's a theme. So we move on, and we go to Yale, where we find our next character, Alex. Alex was his name, I think? Yes, and literally the first thing I noticed is... He's apparently our main character, and always know is that he didn't save some lady in black and white. He's from Yale, and he's afraid of dream leeches. Dream leeches. Dream leeches. Another. I wouldn't say that was a good effect, but it was. It was. It was an effect. That they yeah. Did. Yeah, but literally the first thing we notice about Alex is they do the whole dream within a dream thing with him, and. Throughout the movie, they kind of overuse it. Well, the whole thing is that he is, um, he has premonitions, is what it is. Yeah, but that do- that's not explained until later. When I f- when we first watch it, it's like, oh crap, this person like couldn't save his love interest or whatever. But then we later realize, oh no, this is in the future where he's having a dream of this guy in a suit holding a gun to this woman's head. And then dream leeches. And then there are dream leeches, which are not... Which, he's he's not the one that gets killed by the leeches, so I don't understand why that's a part of his dream. I don't know. Maybe just a, a vision of what's to come for his cohorts. Which we are shortly introduced to after this scene, when we cut from Alex to the boardwalk and the beautiful Barbara Crampton, getting her uh, fortune told by a fake-ass psychic, who gets a real psychic vision in the middle of it! Right, so this is... I have several things on this. One, they have a fortune teller without giving her a nondescript Eastern European accent. What are you doing, movie? Also, yeah, she's, like, very Southern. Although I, I actually found that quite refreshing, to not have the stereotypical Eastern European accent, that they made her very Southern. I am not here to be refreshed. I am here to be smothered to death by tropes. Nope, Full Moon took a hard left turn on this one and said, Nope, we're using a lot of them, we ain't using this one. Fuck you, Full Moon, how dare you be progressive? <laughs> how dare you be progressive in 1989? In this in this first scene, she... First of all, she says that Barbara Crampton, her, her boyfriend, is gets going to be wildly successful for opening a shopping mall. Which I'm just assuming is going to be is a is a reference to Chopping Mall. It has to be a reference to Chopping Mall. Because it's such an odd thing to become wealthy for. Well, it's like it's like he was supposed. She's like, oh, he, you're gonna get rich. You're gonna be in sales, and she's just like, are you kidding? This guy didn't even finish high school. And then she turns back and says, oh, yeah, um, he's going to be the foreman of a construction company and build a massive shopping mall and make yourself rich, yada, yada, yada. Second of all, there there are hints that she's, like, being a fraudster with her fortune telling. Oh, 100%. Your your grandmother's not going to be around for much longer. And Barbara Crampton's like, my grandmother's already dead. And she's like, oh, no, it must be his grandmother then. 
Yeah. But the thing is, she's a real psychic. I know. That's Why would they make her out to be a fraudster? Okay, I originally I didn't realize that she was a, a, an actual psychic from the get-go. I thought it was just going to be one of those fake psychic, it's a real psychic vision things. But I actually kind of like the fact that they have a real psychic parading as a fake one. That's pretty funny. Yeah. But but when she's getting that real psychic vision, she's like grabbing at her head, and I was just praying for a head explosion. No, this isn't Scanners. I wish it was. This is not Scanners. So we cut from that to our other two characters. It's like Neil and... No, it's Frank and Carissa. Frank and Carissa. Can I just say, from the get-go, I hated them. They're not good. They're not good characters. From the get-go, I hated them. Like, they're just, they're so flat. They're so incredibly one note. And I'm just like... Their entire character is, we are sexually promiscuous. Not even promiscuous, because, like, if if it was promiscuity, they'd be going after other people. But no, they're just like, they're overtly sexual in regards to most everything they do, but only in regards to each other. So... The experiment that they're running is, uh, and I quote, real-time thought transmission, where he asks a woman who has, like, diodes and shit attached to her head, think about your wildest sexual fantasy, and during that time, he he says the phrase, like, this little girl has a very vivid imagination, and I did not like the way he said little girl. I'm pretty sure Frank was on a few registries. With a ponytail like that, yes. He was on a few registries and also probably uh, financing pornos in his basement in his spare time. So, what we get is Alex calls everyone. Everyone's getting like these weird psychic visions, and they're like, oh, I guess our buddy Neil is calling us to the Bodega Bay place to do something. It's not clearly explained how they know that... Well, it is explained later, but it's very much like, hey, let's tell the audience immediately everything that we know. We gotta go here to do this thing because this guy, he sent out some psychic waves or something. Exposition dump. It's great. Because we have no idea how to properly tell a story and convey things. We're just gonna spell it out for you. So in this moment, the psychic lady is referred to as the White Witch, and I'm not sure if that's a Narnia thing or a race thing. I don't know, but honestly, I was a little offended because I was like, no, Stevie Nicks is the White Witch, thank you very much. Bitch, please, you wish you were Stevie Nicks. Dude, I wish I was Stevie Nicks. I wish I was Stevie Nicks. No, I wish I was Stevie Nicks. Can we both be Stevie Nicks? I would make a better Stevie Nicks than you. Ah, uh, fair. <laughs> you might have the more luscious hair, but I have the looks. So, we meet up with everyone at the Bodega Bay Hotel. Bodega Bay Inn. Bodega Bay Inn. It's not a hotel, it's an inn. It's more cozy that way. It's more atmospheric. It's more homey. We meet all the people. All of our characters are immediately introduced. We have the maid, the wife of Neil. 
Yes, that, who they just always refer to by his last name, Gallagher. And Gallagher shot himself. Yeah, I... That that woman was far too calm for the fact that her husband had just shot himself. Also, his body was far too pristine for a man who just shot himself. Yeah, because it's like, who's your coroner? Because he does some amazing work. Can he work on my aunt? So, like, it, either he... Either this motherfucker, like, shot himself in the chest, because no one who who shot themselves in the head is having an open casket funeral. Yeah. But also this, still, his widow is just way too calm, and she's just casually leaning over the body, just like, oh yeah, just talking about my dead husband here, and the fact that he just killed himself, just like, it's a normal Tuesday. To be fair, their, their marriage was not was not particularly full of love. Yeah, that's, that is a fair point, but it's still, like, if the person you've been married to for a few years, even if it wasn't the most romantic affair, if they suddenly up and died, I imagine you'd still be grieving pretty hard when his friends show up. Not just, like, having a casual conversation over the body, just like, oh yeah, this, this is a thing that happened. Okay, but Casey, that would require direction. Yeah, I'm I'm obviously asking way too much of this movie. Way too much. Way too much. And it was at this point, as when I when I realized that this movie would be psychics versus puppets, which was not at all what I was expecting this movie to go. <laughs> yeah, I. To be fair, I also didn't know where this movie was going to go to begin with anyway. So we we move on. Everyone's getting cozy in their. Uh, in their rooms, and we sh- I suppose we should say that the whole reason everyone came, despite Neil being dead, is they're like, Neil fucked us over, we need to get payback, because apparently the puppet master is, is like, his magic is stored somewhere in here, and we need to find it. It's a very odd setup, but now we have psychics versus puppets. Not to mention, one psychic apparently only has visions about sexual things. Only sexual things. Like... A sexual assault in an elevator, or like, oh, this bed has had so many people in it, or just like the bathtub, and I'm just like, is this all you're here for? Right. So there is, um, we have the fortune teller, who has a weird stuffed dog that she seems to carry around for no other reason than the the sting at the end of the movie. Yeah. Obvious plant is obvious. It's the It's Chekhov's dog. And as you said, we then get we get tits by virtue of rape. Oh no. I mean that's unfortunately a pretty common thing in these late 80s early 90s B horror films in that they just use sexual assault for plot purposes to the point of it like it it wasn't even a plot purpose. It was just like oh, this is proof that Neil wasn't such a great guy. It's just like, you could have told us that in another way, not by assaulting some poor woman in an elevator. Excuse excuse me while I get a little bit feminist here. No, f- it, go ahead. Right, it's, a, it's, it's, it's classic B-movie fair. Yeah. And then we get a scene of Gallagher seemingly to move around in his coffin, but then we get our our, our first 
uh, well, Blade was sort of our first puppet that we saw, but this is our first puppet that we get to see in action by the name of Pinhead. Big human hands and a wee bitty head. His big fat hands and a big, very, old, very big, tiny old, head. big old human hands at that. Human hands. Very human hands. Not, not working to disguise that fact at all. It's it's kind of like when they had those uh, little clips of the dogs in shirts with the human hands just doing things. Except <laughs> except except not as fun. It's 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 like a worse version of the Swedish Chef from the Muppets. It's not the best, but those hands. <laughs> those hands. Them hands can do some work that we will be seeing shortly. Dem hands. And we, we, we next get a dinner scene between all of our, our main cast. And Exposition this scene. Psychic lady is so rude. Just just being like, Oh yeah, your husband Gallagher was a piece of shit. Yeah, I was I was honestly expecting her to end her statement with Oh bless your heart. And it is at that point that the uh, the wife runs on out. He's she is followed by Alex, who is our good guy, our main protagonist, who explains what's going on with her with the uh, with the very innocuous pronunciation of occult. Yes, occult. He, he, ex- he explains the nature of all of their powers slash exper- expertise in the occult. Yes, and and we we. The, the MacGuffin of the Puppet Master series seems to be Egyptian bullshit. Again, going back to Child's Play, that was all Haitian? Uh, yeah, that that was all voodoo. Yeah, so they were like, well, we can't do voodoo again for fucking Egyptians. Sure, whatever, we have all these, these spirit of Halloween props lying around for Egyptian shit. Just throw it in. Now it makes me wonder, when was Spirit Halloween founded? It's founded by Full Moon to sell off all their <laughs> their extra props. All their extra extra shit. No, no, that can't be right because the stuff at Spirit is actually kind of good. <laughs> so, so make up your mind: did Full Moon found Spirit, or did the Spirit uh, help fund Full Moon? This is truly a chicken and the egg scenario. That is true. But no, spirits spirits props are actually pretty good. They're too good for full moon. So we catch up with the maid, who previously the the fortune teller was like, "Do not go to the fireplace. I'm a, I'm gonna cleanse you with dragon tears." And she goes to the fireplace, and we get a bit of a back and forth thing with the piano and the fire poker. We get the first kill of the movie, and it sucks. It sucks so much. Yeah. I wasn't even sure if it was actually a kill. Like, So, uh, going a bit ahead, we do see her again. Yeah, so it's like, was it actually a kill? Or was she reanimated? Or was she just, like, knocked out? Or what? I'm going to go for it. she was killed and then reanimated, because that seems to be the way that this film is is carrying that sort of stuff. But we get a, we get a quick thwack... And blood splatters on the fireplace and doesn't cause any steam or anything like that. It's steam would cost money. True, but we we move on, and the wife f- f- goes into that room with the fireplace, and instead of finding the body, 
she finds Gallagher's body mysteriously up and sitting in one of the chairs. And the body is disappeared and nowhere to be found, even though someone would then have to go into that fireplace and clean up all that blood. Yeah, it's... That scene kind of bugged me in the fact that, like, obviously I get why his wife screamed at the fact that she found his body just set up in a chair with his eyes open wide, but everyone else dealt with that way too calmly. Well, I think that... I think that what they're going for was like, oh, all of these people are occult experts. And are like, occult. Occult experts. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yes, another one of these shambling corpses. Uh, very, very common fare in our line of practice. Seems like a cheap thing to me. I'm not saying you're wrong. I know, but I gotta point it out. And so we, we cut to... Clarissa and Frank uh, to get another excuse for more tits. I, I swear, Clarissa was only written to say sexy things, and Frank is only written to be your sleazeball partner. They're so one note, it makes me sad. And, like, I'm, I'm going to summarize the scene for you so we don't have to talk on it further. How do you use sex to get information on the dead? Because apparently that's how they do. I don't, I don't know. How do you use sex to get information on the dead? I don't... I don't know. <laughs> I don't it's know weird. either, but that is literally this scene. That is literally all the scene is. It's just them sitting there like, I'm a sexy woman and I'm thinking about sex. And then guys like, give me sex. While we try and pry information from the dead while we sex. And then they... They And then they sex. And then they have plot convenient bondage. <laughs> and and then they sex. While some while some crew member just sits in the back and watches. It's a it's a much shittier version of Gerald's game. <laughs> we then we catch up with the White Witch and Alex and she sort of lightly drags a chicken foot across his hand. Uh, I don't know, I guess I guess they're going for, like, a Haitian magic thing. No, I I almost want to say Cajun. Pro- possibly a little Creole. Point being, they don't know the magic that they're t- trying to represent. No, but just, like, from what I saw of her stuff, it, with the chicken foot and the, and the feathers and stuff, like, it honestly does feel a little rip-off Cajun to me, a little rip-off voodoo, which might be why she was called the White Witch. Um, I I am choosing to believe that this is a uh, this is a race thing. I am probably trying to make explanations for things that don't really require explanations. But we then get a lot of scenes of nothing happening, nothing progressing the plot. Yeah, I we we see Blade running around and looking at stuff, and I I did see a crewman's hand manipulating him as he climbed into his little chair. <laughs> We also we also see the crewman's hand during the sex scene. We we just see the crewman just sitting in the back, just like, all right, when is this gonna be over? You guys promised we'd go get ice cream. It's it's so <laughs> it was so weird because I saw it during the filming and I thought, wait, is there a third person in the room with them? Is that gonna be a thing? And I fast forward fast forwarded a bit before I put it in my notes. I'm like, no, that was just a huge fuck up on their end. That's just a crew member just sitting in the back. 
And he just, he looks so bored. He's just like, ugh, these two again. It's, it's so ridiculous. But yeah, we get so much padding. And it was at this point where I was thinking, okay, what would make... Because the, we just get, like, people doing things and puppets running around, but nothing is, like, progressing the plot. And I'm thinking, okay, what would be... What would make things good? Sex psychic gets killed to death by being... Sex psychic gets killed by being drilled to death. Well, yes, that. But I'm thinking... But what could replace these scenes of nothing happening? And I thought what would be cool... What we needed was, like, a Home Alone-style scene of the puppets, like, setting shit up in the hotel that would be later used to, like, kill the psychics and stuff. Oh, with them strug struggling with the weight of things with their tiny little puppet bodies? Yeah, but then that would require creativity. And this is Charles Band we're talking about. This is Charles Band. But we finally do get some stuff where we have, uh... Clarissa and Frank just really doing some fucking hard, but they're Frank is completely covered by the sheets, so yeah. I don't know. It's like, where is she even going? Is she just grinding straight up on him? Because, like, that sheet's covering everything. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's very, it's very ridiculous. It's so stupid. She hears something, and... Frank is like, hey, hey, Clarissa, untie me, untie me. I'm like, okay, untie him. Untie him, goddammit. <laughs> nope. That is that is the that is the responsible thing to be doing, but no, you're an idiot. And she pays for it. As we are introduced to our next delightful puppet by the name of Driller. I thought his name was Tunneler. Tun I don't fuck do you expect you, me to you, remember this? You said it literally 20 minutes ago. It's, yeah, it's Tunneler. <laughs> I caught you. I'm <laughs> I'm going to get so much shit for getting that wrong. Yes, you are. I'm going to give you so much shit. <laughs> I, am, I am expecting it intensely. Good. But we, we, she, she gets... She gets gr drilled straight in the mouth. And I suppose that's meant to silence her because she should be screaming super loud right now. Yeah, I mean, but also it it is also kind of funny that the the sex psychic got drilled to death. I didn't even put that together. <laughs> that's literally the first thing I thought of. Like, oh. Well, I didn't want to uh, use the brain power to, to think deeply upon the nature of Puppet Master. The the deeper meaning behind the scenes. Is it really a deeper meaning when it's just an obvious innuendo? An obvious double entendre? I didn't, I didn't want to think too hard. True. It's like, this is Puppet Master. I'm using two brain cells for this and nothing more. But, so she dies... Yeah, Carissa dies, and then the next bit is just, ugh. It's just, ugh. This is the one genuinely scary part of the movie. It's not even really scary, it's just kind of disgusting. So the the puppet we next meet is named Miss Leech. Uh, so Frank is tied up and blindfolded, and she starts kissing his body, and he thinks it's Clarissa. Which, first of all, how does he, how does he not realize that's not his girlfriend, right? 
I don't know. Apparently he's he's numb because he can't differentiate between actual skin and just puppet flesh. It but even just like the tiny like tiny mouth. Tiny mouth. Comparatively. Little mouth. So little itty bitty mouth. But not little enough to regurgitate giant fucking leeches. While making obvious gagging sounds. It's like, Frank, why didn't you hear this? What's wrong with you? It genuinely kind of upset me in a body horror kind of way. Because it sounds like the process is painful to produce these leeches. Yeah, but it... That this does explain Alex's dream earlier, so it, it is kind of nice to have some sort of reasoning for something early on that made, like, no sense at the time. But it doesn't, because he's the one who has the leeches on him, and we've seen before his dreams are done in a... You, you see, he sees what happens, not it happens to him. So even in the, say, in the, in the logic of the movie, this doesn't make sense. Technicalities... The fact is that someone still got killed by leeches, but also, how do you get killed by leeches? He had, like, maybe a handful on him. Leeches do not drain that much blood. Well, we don't know how many, how long he was sitting there for. But also the fact that leeches are not just mindless blood vacuums. Like, they're living... leeches? Leeches. You said bleaches. No, I did not. Leeches are not just mindless blood vacuums. They are living things. They do have a stopping point. They will stop when they are no longer hungry, I imagine. Well, also, these are presumably not normal leeches. Also, how did they get there in the first place? How does she have so many leeches inside her? Is this like a... Does she have like a bag of holding in her stomach full of leeches? I don't know... (laughs) I quite frankly don't want to know, so let's move on. So, uh, Alex and uh, the fortune teller are talking, and she offers to fuck him while holding her weird taxidermy dog. What was his name? Leroy? I think. I think the dog's name was Leroy. Leroy's my favorite character. Leroy has the has the biggest character arc in this movie. <laughs> Leroy is my favorite character. So he, um, she is holding Leroy. It's like, oh, let's, come on, let's rearrange the walls. And he's like, nope, I'm not doing that weird dog lady. <laughs> and then she goes into her room and she finds the dead husband is sitting in her room and she just starts, like, doing magic around him. It looks very ineffectual. Um, she looks like someone's drunk aunt the entire time she's doing this. I don't know much about magic, granted, but I feel like she should be doing more than absolutely nothing due to the fact that there being a dead body in her room. And then Pinhead comes in, and it's just... We get an overextended, like, puppet versus psychic scene, and it's just like, lady... This thing is literally the size of a football, and thankfully she does end up throwing him, but also it's just like... Why was her leg bleeding after old Humid Hands grabbed her? What did he use to cut her? Magic? <laughs> no. Literally, 
little old human hands, grabs her by the leg, she falls on the bed, and he starts attacking her, starts strangling her. She ends up throwing him against the wall. So, and I'm just like, finally, someone just decides to throw these things because they're just puppets. Yeah, I was I was watching that, and in my notes, I put down, is this meant to be comedy? Because these puppets are exceptionally ineffectual as soon as you get the ability to throw them. Yeah, it's to be fair, that argument can also be said of uh, Chucky as well. So, literally, if you are in a fight with a with a living puppet, just just throw it, just punt it across the room. Well, at least Chucky has like a knife or has like some sort of, of an element of surprise. But this fucking thing just comes out of I'm gonna punch you, and she just throws him down the stairwell. Yeah, and. Sh- and I'm just like, Dana, why are you dragging yourself down the hallway? Your leg wound isn't even that bad. You are making a mountain out of a whole mil- molehill, girl. A mountain out of a whole mill. Just a whole <laughs> mill of mountains. <laughs> she is making way too big a deal over that leg wound. She is milking that thing. And I, I do admit, human hands punching Dana was pretty funny. It was very funny. It was very um, funny to see a woman just get straight up punched by a puppet. And we get we get our final kill, where where she is. I forget how she dies. Is it by blade or by pinhead? Uh, blade is the one that gets her in the elevator, with his knife right. across the throat. Right. But it's down to two characters are left. We have the wife and we have Alex, and we get another scene that I can only assume was designed to pad the runtime of him having a dream where he goes up the stairs and plays out an entire scene just to have it be a dream within a dream within a dream where he lifts up his like blankets and the head decapitated head of heads of all his friends are there yeah i i, I told you they they use the dream within a dream thing way too much eat your heart out inception this movie did it first <laughs> Are you sure about that? No, but I dare not fact check myself. Yeah, don't do that. You're just going to give yourself a headache. So, but then the scene plays out again, the scene that we just saw, and we find out that the vague Egyptian bullshit is um as I, as I as I have right here the Andre Toulon gave them life through the ancient rites of afterlife, which I feel like that's not how that would work. It is Cal. It's Calvin Ball rules, honey. It. But like, okay, here, if it's it's the rules of afterlife, therefore these dolls are possessed. But no, he is giving them life. Just just creating life. That's the whole thing, and. <sighs> yeah, I don't. Okay. It's dumb. Don't 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 give yourself a headache over this. Just move on. So we move on. Uh, Alex gets gets another premonition. Is like we got to go to the dining room. That's where everyone's at. And but also a- also like they. I thought Alex only had premonitions when he was asleep. They changed the rules for him halfway through the movie. Not even halfway, like three quarters into the movie. They changed the rules for Alex. There are greater questions to be answered in these coming scenes. 
Yeah, yeah, but also, like, one thing I did notice in that extended weird white room dancing scene is Gallagher's wife obviously has no fucking clue how to do a proper waltz. No, absolutely none. (laughs) I I noticed that first thing. I was just like, this woman can't dance. It's like, you you think as long as this thing goes on, she would have at least picked up the steps, but nope. No, absolutely not. So, what we next get is we go to the dead person dinner scene with where we have all of the dead psychics around the table and we get the big reveal that Gallagher did kill himself but used the ancient rites of afterlife to resurrect himself. How do you use that when you're already dead? Well, here's the better question. <laughs> where So his wife is there. He's like, she's like, Oh, what happened? What's going on? I don't I don't understand. And Gallagher's like, Ah, yes, Alex, care to explain the metaphysics of it all? No? Well, meta- I metaphysically killed myself. And I, and I put my... No, you just killed yourself. You did do it on a metaphysical level. You did not, like, eliminate your ego. It's not... No, I'm pretty sure his ego is still very much alive. Yeah, he he did it, it's it's such a stupid way to make things sound more complex than they are. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around how did he resurrect himself when he was dead? It's it was like a delayed delayed spell. It's like delayed fireball. Oh, so it's like when I put the time delay on my dishwasher. Yes. Okay. Except you need to kill yourself to start the timer. Well, it's a good thing I don't need to do dishes tonight. Ah, aha, ah. Um, so we get a bad guy monologue explaining how he's like, no, I'm here, I, I'm here for eternal youth and, you know, being alive forever. And the only thing that can kill me is total destruction of my body. I'm glad you noticed that too. That bugged me so bad. The thing that is later immediately disproven. Yes, I'm... But he's being evil and he's being rude and it's very clearly making all of the puppets upset. Yeah, because it's like, oh, and Talon's notes was like, oh, when I'm dealing with them, they're harmless because I've, I'm a harmless person. But no, because Gallagher is now apparently the puppet master. He's the one using them for evil and stuff, and they're just like, we don't like it. We're unionizing. So are the puppets, like, self-aware? Because how was Gallagher controlling them? I don't know, but apparently they are self-aware, and apparently um, they have some morality code. Because the next thing we find after Alex has... Uh, done a bit of fighting with Gallagher is that the puppets straight up turn on him. We get the um, we get the the obvious scene of all the puppets using their powers together to kill him, except for the spinny face guy whom is named Jester. He never gets explained, but uh, something that is interesting is in the uh, is in the description on Full Moon Features. It refers to Jester as the ruthless brains of the bunch who is absolutely merciless. But that is never established in the film. That might be for the later features, because, I mean, this is a very long series. 
Yeah, but you would think they would take out some of the scenes of puppets just running around and, you know, use it to build story. But no. No, no they don't. Also, fair warning, I probably should have noted this uh, early on. I get hiccups a lot, so that'll be a frequent feature of this podcast. So get used to it. But that aside, um, did you did you did you notice the obvious foam fingies in the elevator scene? Uh, the fingers were so good. I love the fingers. I love the fake hand. Obvious foam fingies. I love the fake hand that's squirting out like green ecto cooler. <laughs> the, it's yeah, so the, good. The green goo was a nice touch. It was it was definitely a nice touch to prove that he was no longer like natural anymore so something i didn't quite understand was at the end gallagher is like beating the shit out of alex and like he's like, i'm going to kill everyone and become the puppet master but when the puppets turn on him and start like just like killing him alex is and his the wife are all of a sudden like no stop don't kill him stop even though he has been very clear in his goal of I'm going to murder everyone. Maybe they wanted to do it for themselves. I mean, to be fair, I would have felt the exact same way. It's just like, oh man, don't don't kill him. I wanted to do it. No, I would, would have done, been the Willy Wonka thing of, no, don't, stop. It... <laughs> It's it's a very odd choice, but no, not everyone can be as cynical as you, Gabe. Am I a cynic for wanting the villain that threatened to murder me to be ripped apart by puppets? No, but to be fair, it is kind of expected. It's like if if the villain isn't torn apart by puppets, then what's the point? So uh, obviously, obviously, the whole turning on their master thing, quote unquote master, was an obvious ploy from the get go, because it's like. We've got these puppets. If they're not going to be killing our main baddie, then what's the point? Because obviously Alex doesn't have the spine to do it. Obviously. And and the puppets... You don't want to make the puppets the villains because they very clearly wanted to sell merch. Like These puppets are are absolute action figure bait. They're like anti-heroes. Yeah, and I, I won't lie. Some of the puppet designs were genuinely interesting. Yeah. I still don't like Miss Leech. I don't. I like Blade. Blade's cool. Blade's icon Blade's iconic. Blade is cool in the most like bottom of the barrel way. He's got the cool black jacket and like a knife. He's got the fedora. I feel like I would find a a figure of Blade in the dollar store. Yeah. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be mad about having a figure of Blade, but at the same time, I wouldn't be like showing it to people. Ooh, I know what to send you for your birthday now. Oh God, no! <laughs> I don't Ex want that in my house, Casey. Expected for Christmas, bitch. But we have one last thing. As Alex leaves, he is the he is the he is the final he's the final girl. <laughs> Alex uh, is the film. final girl. He's the final girl. When we get the last scene of the movie, where the wife has Leroy, the dog. Takes him away. Takes him away and animates him. Leroy is now alive, and it's apparently very obvious that she knew how to do it herself all along. What does this ending mean? 
I don't know. Is she the villain? Because I I interpret this as her being the villain. I don't know, man. I legitimately... At at this point in the movie, I was just like, okay, roll credits. I... I need a drink. Credits. It's we're we're done. Puppet Master is over. Woo! Pop the pop the fucking horn. We're done. <laughs> Grab the Vuvuzela. And so, yeah, th- this film was not good. But it wasn't bad. It, yeah. It was. All the parts with the puppets were very were entertaining. Yeah. And I mean, there were some genuinely funny bits. Like I, st- I still think a a bitch getting punched the fuck out by a puppet with human hands is pretty damn funny. As I said, the puppets are well designed in a lot of ways. They all have unique features. I wish we saw more of them. Is my one thing. Oh, we will. Oh, oh, we will see. We will see 11 movies worth of these puppets. 11 movies too many. I, mean, I don't know if I'm going to be having that same opinion by the time we get through that, but right now that's what I'm saying. But Ugh. yeah, if you wanted to have this on in the background, just being like, hey, look, it's it's Puppet Master. We're going to watch this and have some booze. Go ahead. It's fine. It's not spectacular, but I, I could imagine if I saw this as like a, as like, a kid or a teen, I would have been fucking enthralled by these puppets. I would have been enthralled by just, like, these weird designs and shit, but it... Now I'm just like, yeah, I don't... I can't. It's alright. But I have have one thing. I think this is gonna... This would be fun for... If it's it's information we can uncover for any of these films, because some of these full moon features are very much obscure... But I wanna, I'm going to ask you this question, which is, how much do you think this movie cost to make? 25000 25000 Mm-hmm. 600000 Seriously? That is, I'm looking at the IMDb, estimated budget, $600,000. Which I suppose the question is, if, if the Bodega Bay Inn is a set or not... Because I think that is a that would be a big determining factor of the you know, of the ultimate cost. Either that or Charles Band was doing a money laundering scheme. No, I think I think majority of that money went up his nose. <laughs> and I think that should be where we leave it for this episode. And that that is where we will be leaving it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. We are... Our livers will be suffering as this uh, series goes on. So send us your love. Send us your support. Maybe maybe uh, see if you're a matching donor for one of us because yes. we might need a transplant by the time this is over. But thank you for listening and all of you have a absolutely horrifying evening. Bye!